Into sports. 20 yards out. Urge to shoot. Don't shoot. Oh, what a goal Wow. And get into the all-new OTB Sports app. I think when he apologises to me, I probably will say hello to him. Yeah, no. Videos, sports news, live scores, interviews. If Abregas is going to come up to me in the street and give me some of a mouth that he would have given me on a football pitch, what do you do? You get a slap. Plus exclusive content on the OTB Podcast Network. The biggest names in sports. Ready when you are. Search OTB Sports on your app store and download it now. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Oh, the shape that will get. You've let all the fans down. Can we not knock this? It's a fact. I am not playing mind games. I am talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicci, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. The answer questions on anything. Uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you, disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Now then, welcome along to Team 33, the football happy hour here in Off The Ball. Coming up later on in the show, we'll be turning to South America and the decline of South American football on the global stage. That's with Tim Vickery a little later. But first, it's time to take a quick look back at the football week. Liverpool suffered another defeat at home this season, falling to Brighton on Wednesday night. Suddenly, that very juicy game between them and Man City has become all that more interesting this Sunday. Elsewhere, it's one thing to bounce back from a 9-0 defeat last year. It's another thing to bounce back and get beaten 9-0 again. That's what happened Southampton and Ralph Hasenhüttl was obviously quite downbeat after that game. Ralph, how do, how do you explain? I mean, we know you can explain it, but it's a nightmare night for you, isn't it, from start to finish, really? Yes. Um, yes, it was tough from when you lose to the player after three minutes against such a team. I mean, it's 11, it's 11 tough to, 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 to compete here with one man down. And uh, the, all the players we are missing in the moment, it's even more tough. We tried to, to keep the clean sheet in the second half as long as possible, but uh, yeah, it was tough to defend. And finally, to, to, get a, to, to concede again nine goals, yeah, it's, it's, you have your story now and we have the blame, but uh, I can take it. I can take it and we stood up after the first one and we will also stand up after the second one, it's okay. Well, Jankovic is a, is a young lad. It's his first Premier League start. I mean, he was very reckless. You could only say, I suppose, it was a sort of rush of blood to the head, just carried away. What can you say to him? I, I don't know what I can say to him. I mean, um, he did a... He did... Uh, he... he, he, he he bent the, the guys who were on the pitch. I think they were they were helpless after after he sent off immediately and yeah. And then it's 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 gone very quick and you know that there can the 90 minutes can be very long and <laughs> but afterwards nobody will speak about the one player sent off or the second player sent off. The result is there and we have to live with the result again. Um, yes, and that's it. The Premier League's an unforgiving place. Yes. What do you That's do now? The reaction from your players, you have, you'll have to defend their morale, you'll have to get them back on their feet. As, as you said, it's happened before. Can you do it again? Yes, we have to. We have to. We have played so far a very good season and uh, nobody expected that such an evening would come today. Uh, there were no, no signs of, of... And I must also say... Uh, 
that doesn't met, that doesn't uh, reflect what we did this season so far. But uh, yeah, it's hard to explain what 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 is what what is going on now in your mind. But um, yeah, we have to we have to live with this again. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you. Yeah, I actually left the office at seven nil only to come home and see that United had scored two more goals. And of course, Bruno Fernandez, being my captain on fantasy football, he was only involved in one goal and getting one assist. So that's just typical of fantasy football, right there. In news off the field. Sometimes I do give Burnley a hard time in the show, but not this week. Because this week, Sean Dyche has knocked it out of the ballpark in his press conference. Instead of me explaining, just have a listen to this. Thank you very much. Has anybody ever told you you look just like Mick Hucknall? It's uncanny you say that. Apparently I look very much like Chris Evans too. I, mean, I, I can't see it personally speaking I can't see it but apparently I do so it's a fair fair point that you make thank you very much for reminding everyone of that clear fact that I obviously do look like Mick Hucknell thank you thank you I've no idea where these press conferences are going anymore no idea they're brilliant because they're less boring it's like lockdown's really hard for everyone it's really boring for everyone so we're just having a natter and just trying to show a bit of humanity in the world you know what I mean we are human and boring questions they bat them off you ask me a silly question I'll give a silly answer and we, and we might as well just not bore everyone to death so thank you we've sunk to, look, that we've sunk to lucky likeys now situation. we've sunk to lucky likeys for some reason no we're not sitting yeah we're raising ourselves to looky likeys looky likeys make the world go have you never sat in a pub well although that seems like a distant memory where your mates have just found looky likeys in the pub it's one of the best bits of fun you'll ever have in a night trust me just do it the next time you're allowed in a pub sit with some friends you're probably only allowed three but anyway sit with some friends or something and just look for looky likeys Brilliant, brilliant fun. Love looky like you. So we're not lowering ourselves, guys. We're raising the bar. We're adding. Yeah, we. Yeah, we. Yeah, we lower. Yeah, yeah. Looky like on holiday is brilliant. It's a brilliant family game. Looky like is on holiday. You get your kids at it once they're of an age. Fantastic fun. Because then people nudge each other and they do that thing where they go, "Oh, dad, I've got one. I've got one. I've got one." Look over there, left, and they go, "Bungle." It's like, well, how do you even know bungle? You know what I mean? But then they become that for the whole holiday, don't they? Yeah. So as soon as you see them and you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, then every night you're at a restaurant, you nudge them and go, look, Bungle's in again. There's Bungle. Brilliant. Brilliant, yeah. Do you know, has anyone seen the kids' film, Up? Yes. Right, you know, you know the little old man with the glasses on? I swear to you, we were playing away at Sunderland and a, a live human version of the man in Up in Up was there. And I said, the lads right with the staff went, oh my God, lads, I've got the best one ever, I've got the best one ever. I was nudging around the table because he was just literally at the bar there and I was nudging and I was going, the fellow out of Up. Oh my God, they were crying. They were crying. It's the best looky likey up ever. It literally was the cartoon man out of Up, but in a human form. It was bizarre. The lads went, oh my God, that is actually him. To the point when you like want to get a selfie, you know, with them subliminal ones, when he's at the bar, you just turn and go, thunk. I love that game. See, see, James, right? If you want to get to the depth of real reporting, go around the Premier League and ask all of the Premier League managers, do you play the looky-likey game? And if they give you a boring answer, we'll drive down and we'll slap them with a wet fish and say, that's for your boring answer about looky-likeys. Because everyone should play looky-likeys. It's what people want to see. It's what the viewers really want to see, I think. All day. It'd be much more fun than you ask me about like, whether we're going to play a 4-4-2. And they go, yeah, he is. Sean Dutch is going to play a 4-4-2. We had, last holiday we had, we had Daddy's evil best mate. So there was a guy, 
Evil Uncle Steve, they called him. It was my, my two boys. Really? Evil Uncle Steve. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, that's got a bit dark. Oh, we're only looking about lucky likeys. All right, we're not going too dark on it. <laughs> right, come on, come on, Alex. Let's bring us back to normality. It's flat lines yeah, again. It's lockdown period. I'm already like this. Oh, God. Come on, Alex. Let's do your job properly. And let's ask me a really inane question and I'll answer. Sorry, sorry. It's all right. It's your job. It's all right. It's all right. And my job's to answer. So crack on. Yeah, that is fantastic stuff from Sean Dice there. And if we're learning one thing this year from him, from James Madison, and from other interviews that we've seen, if footballers stuck to cliches, it would be a lot more boring. I, I'm all for these press conferences without the cliches, off script, and listening to just natter, as he likes to describe it. On the topic of Premier League lookalikes, so I've done some digging so that you don't have to. I've made a list of football lookalikes, not just Premier League because it was too tough to do Premier League. But Google these if you wish and send in some of your lookalikes on 53106 or tweet us at Team33 if you have any lookalikes in the Premier League that I've missed out. I've only done a short list, but here's the list of football lookalikes. So this one actually blew my mind. Hector Bellerin, Arsenal right back, he looks exactly and I mean exactly he could be brothers and sisters with pop singer Dua Lipa it's been pointed out before but once you see it you will not be able to unsee it I'll tell you that much and then you got the Manchester United manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now this one took me by surprise when I was looking it up some people may not actually know what this guy looks like but look him up very very similar characteristics to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looks exactly like Andy Serkis the voice of Gollum from Lord of the Rings so obviously I'm not saying Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer looks like Gollum but he looks like the voice of Gollum on the other side of Manchester Pep Guardiola obviously a very very handsome man aged like a fine wine but he does look a little bit like Stanley Tushy the actor and I wouldn't exactly call him a handsome man. So, I don't know, I'm confused about Pep Guardiola at the minute. An obvious one, of course, everyone knows that Chris Kamara looks exactly like Lionel Richie. And then, you know, you're getting into more sceptical ones like Neil Warnock looking like Miss, Mrs. Doubtfire. That one is hilarious and actually so so accurate in a way. But, of course, you can't really say that he looks like a fictional character. Do lookalikes count? if they look like a fictional character who's met, the actor doesn't actually look like that let us know 53106 the point of the matter is Sean Dyche is right about the game looky likeies and it's time to take a quick break Tim Vickery is up next Team 33 this is OTB Sports Radio so this week on Team 33 we're heading to South America and who better to do that with than Tim Vickery Tim thanks for joining me today my pleasure let's kick the ball around so, last week, something that we weren't used to over the last couple of years, we saw a Copa Libertadores final on TV at a time that we were awake enough to actually capture what was going on. Palmeiras won 1-0 against Santos. In general, decent enough game, but not really what European standards would expect when you're thinking about the best South American clubs. No, well, there is a there is a chasm these days between the best club football in Europe and the best club football in South America. Um, but Sunday, uh, Saturday's game was ruined, I think, because of the kickoff time, uh, which was five o'clock in the afternoon, our time. Uh, the game's originally scheduled for for late November, which is spring, and because of the pandemic, 
the calendar has changed it to the end of January, 30th of January, which is high summer. Christ, it was hot out there. Really, really hot. And But the kickoff time was maintained. Uh, and that's because I'm reliably informed by the, by the broadcasters. That's because of Brazilian free-to-air TV. That's right. not because of European TV. The, the, the broadcasters selling it to Europe would have been quite happy to move it back two hours. Um, but Brazilian free TV insisted. Uh, and so, you know, extreme heat produces cautious games, especially when you've got a cautious side like Palmeiras, who, uh, you know, they'll wait. They'll wait for their moment. They've got a, a, a much deeper, they're much wealthier than Santos, a much deeper squad, much more, many more options on the, on the bench. So Palmeiras, their approach was, if it goes to extra time, it goes to extra time. You know, we've got the options. The longer it goes on, the, the more chance our our moment will 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 appear, and it did. Um, thankfully, the players weren't forced through extra time. Um, it ended up in it was a tenth minute of stoppage time, I think, that the only goal went in, uh, and the fellow who scored it, or Breno Lopes, um, a couple of months ago, he was playing in the Brazil second division. He's signed too late to play in the, the Club World Cup, which is just about to get underway in the Middle East. And he wouldn't have, I don't think he'd have got on had uh, the much highly rated teenager, Gabriel Verón, been fit because Verón would have been first option on the bench and, and Bruno Lopez would have been sitting there kicking his heels. So we, we had an unlikely hero and some late drama, but not really enough, I think, to compensate mm. for a, a very disappointing game uh, caused in large measure by extreme conditions. In terms of the club scene in South America at the minute, I suppose everyone would know Santos because that's where Neymar came from. That's where, where Pele played a lot of his football. Boca Juniors beaten in the semi-final. Palmeiras, I think people would know them or at least know their crest, at least from video games or wherever. What, In terms of the powerhouses in South America at the minute in the club scene, who would be the standout team at the minute? Well, we're beginning to see more continuity. We're beginning to see... Uh, the same few teams in at the business end of the Libertadores every year. And that, that, that didn't used to happen. Um, financial diff gaps are, are opening up. And also, Europe is no longer interested in the most important players here. It's interested in the, in the, in the young talent. It's interested in the 18, 19-year-olds, not interested in the 24, 25-year-olds. So uh, that's another reason, I think, that we're having more continuity. Um, so in, in Brazil at the moment, they are Palmeiras and Flamengo. Um, in Argentina, they are Boca Juniors and River Plate. Grêmio of Brazil have been punching above their weight. Uh, they nearly made it to a fourth consecutive semi-final, which... Uh, would, would, would have been a, a fantastic achievement. Uh, we're seeing those clubs year after year after year, business end of, of, of the Libertadores. Um, financial fortunes can fluctuate. Others can, can, can break into that... Uh, um, can break into that little set, especially from Brazil. And if, if Corinthians were to sort their finances out, they could break in. Um, one of the teams from Belo Horizonte, perhaps in, in Brazil. But it's been very... Uh, since we've switched in 2017, we switched from a format where the Libertadores was crammed into the first six months of the year to an all-year format. Uh, and the longer the format, the more the, 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 the money clubs are, are, are benefited because they have time to, to reinforce their squad and so on. So since then, since that change, we've seen an almost total domination of Brazil and Argentina. The last final in the old format when it was squeezed into the first few months of the year was Atletico Nacional of Colombia against Independiente del Valle of Ecuador. Since then, from 2017 on, it's been almost total domination from Brazil and Argentina. Right. 
And would it be similar enough to what's happening in Europe at the minute with the likes of Real Madrid, PSG, Barcelona, Man United getting together almost the super clubs dominating and almost working together so that they do can continue to stay at the top? Yeah, it's it's this has happened much more recently in South America than than in in Europe, but we're beginning to see that same kind of domination of a of a of a group of clubs, without the quality that you have at the very top level of Europe. Um, th- there could be changes here because uh, um, Mexican clubs were in the Libertadores until the format was changed, and they couldn't they couldn't fit it into their calendar. When, when the format was changed. In fact, they weren't consulted, which was a, a, a dreadful error because Mexican clubs, you know, it's a huge country, massive TV market. Uh, the Mexican clubs will be, will be back. So okay. that, that, that's, that's a game changer. And there's also the possibility, although the, 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 the logistics here are really difficult, but there's the possibility in the, in the near future of uh, uh, clubs in the United States entering, you know, major, major league soccer clubs, which again, that, 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 that's a game changer. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I pity the players do, we, could, the amount of traveling that they'll have to do because that's really, really difficult. Um, but you can see the, the obvious synergies, you know, that, that football in the States has momentum, um, but it doesn't have credibility. Mm-hmm. Club football in South America is a little bit the opposite. So you put them, you put them both together. You know, the South Americans get more money. The American, the North Americans get more, more, more credibility. So the, the, the value of the synergies are obvious there. And uh, I think it's, I think it's going to happen. Although, as I say, I right. pity the players who are going to be spending hours and hours on aeroplanes. Yeah, God, you'd nearly have to do that in one location as opposed to having it. Well, that's, that, that, that has been my idea. Why don't, why don't you re- retain the separate tournaments? One for the CONCACAF region, because the problem of the States and Mexico joining South America's competition is that you carve out all of the rest of CONCACAF. You, you carve out all of Central America and all of the Caribbean. So my idea would be, well, why not retain the Libertadores as a separate ident- uh, entity and the CONCACAF Champions League and then have a tournament of, say, the top four of from both in one location? Um, but the uh, the more likely, I'm told, at the moment, is is a, a Libertadores, including Mexico and possibly the United States. Well, it'll be definitely interesting, if nothing else, as well as really difficult for the players who already do a massive amount of travelling. Because I mean, the the difference between the Champions League flying from London to France is much different to, from flying from Brazil to, to Argentina or into into Chile. So that'll that'll be an interesting to see how that develops in terms of international football. One of the interesting things that's going on right now is the World Cup qualifiers for the South American sides because we're we're still in European qualifiers for the Euros next year. Supposed to be supposed to be this year, but who who knows what's going to happen yeah. in terms of the teams dominating Brazil four wins from four under Tete, Argentina three wins one draw under Leo uh, Lionel Scaloni. In terms of Brazil, let's start with them. I was looking at their squad and. On sheer talent alone, this seems to be one of the most exciting Brazil sides we've seen this decade, probably. Is that how it's panning out? What type of football are they playing at the minute? Yeah, I mean, uh, since Chichi took over in late 16, they've uh, they've been much, much better, much easier on the eye. I mean, they've never been quite as good as they were late 16 and through 17 in the qualifiers. Um, when they went to, to 18, when they went to the World Cup... A number of things didn't quite work. They weren't quite as good then as perhaps they peaked a little bit too early. But I still think they could have won 18. 
Um, they, they certainly they were one of the four best sides there. Uh, and, uh, and that game against Belgium was, for me, was the game of the tournament. And over the balance of the 90 minutes, I certainly think Brazil deserved the chance to take it into extra time. Um, so they, they weren't far off. Um, Argentina in 18 were predictably an absolute disaster and have bounced back better than anyone could have expected under a rank novice coach. Um, they've done amazingly well, I think, considering considering how bad they were in 18 and how inexperienced Scaloni is. They've done they've 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 done well. Um, there, there are still problems there. You still you still can't see a top quality centre back uh, and maybe a, a top quality goalkeeper. Um, but they've they're they're looking more like looking more like a team. Uh, World Cup qualification in South America is really interesting. Uh, we we don't have those kind of almost worthless games that you have in Europe. Um, since we've had this format, in, it's it's a revolution, um, really. In in 1996, when we started this marathon format of all the, the ten countries playing each other home and away, for the first time ever, it gave South American national teams the calendar that European national teams take for granted: regular competitive games, guaranteed income. And so over the last few years, you've seen an interesting dynamic where the the World Cup is dominated by Western Europe. At the top, Brazil and Argentina as not as dominant and not as dominant as, as, as they were, partly for their own reasons, but I think chiefly because of the rise of Western Europe. Um, and who would have thought you know, Brazil play Belgium? Belgium's a tiny little country. And who would have thought that the player most almost most stereotypically Brazilian on the field would be Belgian? You know, Eden Hazard. Europe is producing players of a type. Something something interesting is happening there, you know. And look at the English talent that's coming through, the Alexander Arnolds and all the rest of it. Uh, I, I saw Diego Latore was a, a good player in his day and now Argentina's best analyst, I think, saying, Look, they're all like street football kids. You know, they're, they're exactly the type of players that 10 years ago we thought couldn't be produced through the academy system. So Western, so let, let's give credit to Western Europe in terms of some of the players that, it, that it's producing. Um, so uh, at the highest level, Brazil and Argentina are, are struggling a little bit. Although Argentina reached the final in 14. Um, but there's never been more strength in depth. Um, just look at the, the recent history. Um, 2006 was the best World Cup in the history of Ecuador. 2010 was the best World Cup in the history of Paraguay. 2014 was the best World Cup in the history of Colombia. Um, six, no, sorry, 10 and 14 were the best in the history of Chile, with the exception of 62, which they hosted. Uruguay have come right back to the top table in a manner that even Uruguay thought was impossible 15 years ago. So there's real strength in depth in the South American national teams. But at the very highest level, they're, they're struggling to compete with Western Europe. Although I think Brazil could have, uh, Brazil weren't far off in, in 18. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm, I'll be very interested to see how both them and Argentina can roll in, in, in 2022. Well, I think from my perspective anyway, one of the things I took from Brazil and Argentina was they always had these amazing squads, but absolutely no cohesion or organization within it. And it seems like Brazil are starting to get that a little bit. One thing that stands out from Brazil, though, is I was just looking at their squad for the World Cup qualifiers, and they've got 
in the forward line, Roberto Firmino, Gabriel Jesus, Richarlison, Rodrigo and Neymar. There's no real centre forward there that's a goal scoring centre forward. And it was the same, was it the 2014 World Cup that they played Fred as a centre forward? Why isn't Brazil producing the Ronaldos? That's, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, and it, it's it's amazing that centre forward has become a, a, a problem position, but it, it, and it really, really has. Uh, I wonder if it's because domestic Brazilian football um, has fallen way behind Europe. And now the, the defensive lines, and there, there are attempts to change this, but the, the defensive lines play very, very deep. Um, you saw with the... With, Palmeiras on Saturday. Now, this is the, we're talking about the, the, the continental champions. Their centre forward, Luis Adriano, he's practically playing on a different landmass from the rest of the team. You know, it's hard. It's yeah. hard to, to, to do that. Um, the, the counterpoint here is there's lots of space on the field. So, what type of player is Brazilian football producing in profundity? It's strikers in the wide spaces. Because that's the kind of player who thrives on on having that amount of acceleration space. Um, so th- that I think is uh, is is apart from just you know random arguments of coincidence. If 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 you want to see why, I think that that's that's the main reason that the way that a lot okay. of domestic fo- Brazilian football is being played uh, sacrifices a centre forward um, uh, at the expense of these of these wide strikers who they they have more wide strikers than they could possibly know what to do with. Mm. And I suppose if you look at the biggest sides in the world right now, they're all playing like that as well. Like Liverpool play with Firmino as the false nine. PSG rely on, I mean, they got rid of their Uruguayan centre forward yeah. in, in Cavani. And that seems to be the way the football is going. But Yeah, although who, who's the club, who's the, the club, uh, who's the champions of the Champions League? Bayern Munich, Lewandowski. Yeah, indeed. So, you know, if, if if you have that type of player who's good enough, oh, he's useful. Yeah. I suppose that's one of the interesting things about modern football is that when teams like uh, Klopp's Liverpool or Pep's Barcelona come in and change it so much and then eventually everyone plays that way, if you revert to the type from 10, 15 years ago, often that can be very effective against the new brand of football. Yeah, and I remember Greece winning the uh, the the Euros in two thousand four with uh, kind of man to man marking. Mm-hmm. You know, people have forgotten it. So um, they, you know, back to the future. Mm-hmm. In terms of Argentina, then again, a complete rookie coach that's taken over the, the side and mm-hmm. in, in an absolute shambles. I was again looking at the squad, and j- just in comparison to previous squads, it's not filled with the superstars that you are accustomed to seeing playing for Argentina. Like, like Angel de Maria is no longer in it. Aguero is no longer in it. He was in, in the it. squad last time around. Oh, um, Aguero has only not been in because of injury, but injury. I, sus- I suspect that it, he's had so many injuries now that I suspect his best is is, is gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, se- it definitely seems that way. And then Messi is not getting any younger. So in terms of Scaloni's style of f- football, is it still get the ball to Messi, see what he can do, or is he spraying well, it out a little bit more? It's, it's been really interesting because Scaloni took over as a caretaker, but he was he was saying, no, we're going to play rapid transitions. Uh, that That's what's working in, in, in world football, and that's what we want to do. Um, and straight away you were thinking, 
Messi doesn't fit into this. He's not. It, it, that that's just not going to happen. Um, you can't play with like a centre forward, two open wingers, and Messi. You know, and do you really expect to, to to do that? Now, Messi took the first few few games off, the first few months off, and then we had the Copa America in '19 in Brazil, uh, and uh, Argentina's first game against Colombia, they were an absolute shambles. Because of this, you had Messi housing an idea that just didn't suit him. They were all over the place, the space between the lines. And then gradually during the competition, you saw Scaloni start to work something out. He dropped Di Maria. That was harsh on Di Maria because it wasn't Di Maria's fault, but just the, the, the system just wasn't, wasn't working for him to play as an open winger. He can do other things as well, but that, that's what he was doing. Um, the, the, and so the, they got to something more compact and they've kept getting better. Uh, Messi, I think, has been a really interesting part of this because you were wondering after 2018, is he is he going to want to bother? And he really has. Um, for in in that Copa America, because there were there were always there was always a kind of discontent around the Argentina camp with you know, Messi doesn't talk. He only ever talks to his mate Aguero. You know, he's in his own little world, and uh, there, there were always these whispers. And uh, in Brazil, 2019, he wasn't like that at all. He'd obviously sat down and made a conscious effort and thought, well, I don't have that long left. You know, what can I do? What can I work on? Uh, and he was, he was such an encouraging figure. He was a much more sociable figure. And he really became the leader. And he was, uh, uh, he was defending the team. He was, he was talking and talking and talking after the games. In fact, he talked himself into trouble. You know, it was a little bit like a kind of striker's tackle. You're not that used to it. And he ended up talking himself in, into trouble, accusing the, the, the competition of being corrupt. So uh, Messi's on board. And that, that has helped, I think. Um, the, uh, the the youngsters have flourished because so much of the responsibility is is, is put on him, and that that that, that I think has, has allowed has allowed some some of the youngsters to, to flourish. Um, I still think that they have problems at, at centre back. On who is it? Uh, on Otamendi on Otamendi. I thought back in two thousand eight was going to be the solution, but. You know, he's, he's not. He's not quite there, and he, he tries to compensate. I think being the bully boy, yeah. Uh, and uh, Martinez Cuarto, who's just joined Fiorentina, who is just not up to it. I think he's he's one of those with a, a centre of gravity in his neck. Uh, that that, but that, that's a real problem. That the the, uh, the lack of of good centre backs. Uh, it, it's hard to remember. And the last one for me, Ajala, and he went in what two thousand and seven, Samuel. Since then, they've really been struggling for for centre backs, uh, and uh, I can't at the moment see a, a solution. Yeah, it's a vast generalisation that I'm about to make, but it seems that the Argentine centre backs always have that little bit of a nutcase in them that you know they will they will they can get sent off if at crucial moments, or they can dive into tackles and miss out in the ball, and that just seems to be something that they have in them. The Marcus Rojo is another example of someone who's quite like that. Without projecting the narrative onto Messi, because I, I do feel like it has become a narrative to this point where Messi will not be accepted in Argentina until he wins a World Cup like Maradona did. Does, do you think that he feels that? Is that a real thing or is that just something that people assume? Well, he'd, he'd love to win it. You know, he's, uh, he's a winner and he's only got one more crack. 
he's not going to be in in the Argentine psyche what Maradona is. It's, it would it would be impossible for for him to do that. I mean, Maradona's life could hardly have been scripted better to be to, to be an Argentine idol. Um, so you know, I don't think Messi has any particular problems with that. He just want he he wants to win. So uh, he, he's uh, he's got one more one more crack at it, and even with their their deficiencies. I think he will be thinking that his side have a much better chance in 22 than they did in 18 when they were just an absolute shambles. Mm. It would be a brilliant end to his career, at least. Wouldn't it just? Argentina, yeah. To win the World Wouldn't Cup because I, when he dragged them to the final and he did drag them to the final a few years back and they didn't win, you're just thinking that's it. It's never going to happen for him. So, I, I personally would love to see the career of Messi crowned with a World Cup at the end of it. It would be a great way to end. Before we finish up, then Tim, one thing that I do want to talk about is a story that came up a few years ago, and it's not really something that's been covered that much. But Jair uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil, the far right leader, there's a, an odd connection between him and the Brazilian football world because when he was running he got the endorsement of Ronaldinho of Rivaldo of Felipe Melo and was publicly backed by the likes of Lucas Moura and Cafu as well What what's the link there why is he supported by these guys you, you, one bigger question you have to ask I think at the moment is what's the left what, what, what does the left mean in an era where uh, trade unions have been absolutely emasculated uh, to the point of of almost irrelevance, uh, and that that means that it's and I think you've, you've seen this all over the world. It's very hard to construct an alternative narrative in society, a kind of solidarity-based left-wing narrative um, that used to be diffused through the trade union movement. That's gone. And that, that, was, that was never particularly strong in Brazil. But anyway, that kind of alternative narrative has gone. Uh, the, the, the Workers' Party, they won four consecutive presidential elections and Lula was president twice and then Dilma, Dilma Rousseff was impeached during her second term. It was never really a left-wing government, and that was, but that was made open and apparent before the first election win, when Lula wrote an open letter to Brazil, and it was all, you know, he, he was more or less saying we're going to have to govern within the within the system, um, with financial capital, which obviously <laughs> there's not a lot of revolutionary change you can you, you can you can make there. Uh, so where did, if it couldn't really make fundamental economic change, and for a while everyone did well, everyone was winning because of the, of, of the export boom selling things to China, really. That, that was the reason. There was no great miracle in Brazil. It was like China was buying, 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 and everyone was winning. At a, uh, and then the government was popular. As soon as China stop growing at that, that extraordinary rate and Brazil then caught a cold. You, you began to see the conflict. Now, if the left can't really move economically or can make limited progress economically 
where does it try to make progress? Where? And the answer, I think, is in uh, um, social matters. Uh, a pro-feminist, uh, pro uh I'm, I'm sorry about the terminology. LGBT, is that, uh, you know, I've yeah. been away to, yeah. Um, so that's where they've made, they made some progress. Uh, these things aren't necessarily left-wing causes, really. I mean, the, 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 uh, uh, all of this can be assimilated very well inside capitalism because you're creating new markets. But anyway, that's what they became associated with. Uh, and so you've got this kind of cultural war type thing where a, a mate of mine, a journalist from Belgium who sp spends a lot of time in Brazil and knows lots of the, the big figures in football and, and spends too much time with them for his own good, I think. And he told me that it was one thing that all of them were saying to him, all of them. These days, if you want to get a degree in Brazil, you've got to be a, a drug taking homosexual. Wow. Wow. Uh, and like so, uh, that kind of social conservatism thing is very, very strong. We're seeing in Brazil where these movements, women's movements and LGBT and so on, they've made big progress. But that, that in encounters a resistance. Uh, the, the Bolsonaro thing a lot of them, and in the, the, the ideological wing of the government, they are absolutely batshit crazy. Really, when the, the intellectual guru behind them believes, suspects, he doesn't believe, he suspects, that the songs of the Beatles were actually written by a German Marxist professor in order to, in order to bring down Western society. Uh, that, that's what they think. Yeah. But the, the way that this, this projects, Bolsonaro is like, the, the uncle that you know from the family gathering from the old days when the old hierarchies were in place and everyone knew their place uh, and uh, one of the visions of Brazil that he likes to try and he'd like to recreate the 1950s now the, uh, the football, uh, football in Brazil is a very right wing world and a lot of the players players you mentioned have come from poor backgrounds but they've never really been in, in, in any kind of left-wing involvement in part because of the emasculation of the trade union movement which is never not particularly strong in Brazil anyway so they haven't got that and the trade unions I mean for people my age I distantly remember them from the 70s as almost like a religion so what do they have yeah. They have real. They have the real religion, and uh, I've, I've only just really discovered this in in the, in the past few years because I don't come from a religious upbringing. You know, we kind of have the idea of of religion as the ultimate good chap. You know, and you read the fucking texts. Gee, my <laughs> God, you know, I mean, the, the the law of Moses is basically a a, a, a slave owner's charter. Yeah, uh, and you know, there's there's things in there. That um, if uh, if um, a woman or a young girl is is married with a father with a, the family saying she's a virgin and it's discovered that she's not a virgin, then she should be stoned to death. You know, we've we've left a time bomb 
forgetting these things and allowing the Christians to just cherry pick, oh yeah, this that, that bit's nice and that bit's nice, because lots of it is really toxic and it's really, really socially conservative. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the evangelicals, they're, they're growing up in an environment where the evangelical churches offer a kind of support structure for, for poor Brazilians. In return for that support structure, you're getting this shit at you all the time. I'll give you the case of, of Jorginho. Now, Jorginho is, has been convicted in two instances of rape in Italy. He's still innocent in the eyes of the law because he still has one instance to go. Um, but he's been convicted, twi- two instances of, of, of rape. Uh, and uh, he's taken refuge in evangelical Christianism. And, 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 he, and he was saying, he said, um, unfortunately, there's this feminist movement these days. That's wow. where that's where that's where quite a few of them are, you know. Right. Um, w- when Bolsonaro came in, because you're not dealing with people who are particularly um, politically sophisticated anyway, because because of that kind of left-right debate, as I say, I go back to the absence of a kind of trade union movement. That kind of left-right debate—it's not really. So they don't really know what Bolsonaro is, but he's, he's he comes across as an, like an uncle from the 1950s, but also the previous the the, the, the PT governments. They ran. They, they had. They operated within the system. Mm. I understand why they made that choice, because a lot of their people, the people they want to help, are in very, very precarious circumstances. So what they don't want to do is play politics with people's lives. They don't want to provoke extra parliamentary chaos. They want to work within the system. But that puts limits, and the system in Brazil, the political system, works on corruption. That, that's that's the fuel in the tank. If you want to get things done, you've got to grease some palms. Uh, and um, they went into this buying off politicians from other parties in order to win support. But the, the, the problem with these schemes is you enter into this scheme as, an, as a means to an end, mm-hmm. and it pretty soon becomes an end in itself. So they got tarred with a corruption brush. They're corrupt, they're corrupt, they're corrupt. And Bolsonaro was able to uh, uh, present himself as anti-corruption. That had a big, that has a big, big populist appeal. Um, by now, the kind of anti-corruption wing of his right-wing coalition have broken off because <laughs> they've yeah. seen that it's, it's not particularly relevant to him. Um, but uh, uh, that still... That kind of 1950s style reassuring presence has an appeal to those of a socially conservative nature. Yeah. And sometimes the left is, is its own worst enemy because mm-hmm. uh, it can shriek hysterically, um, you know, hunt the deviant, hunt the deviant. You're, you're, you're in, instead of trying to develop people, instead of trying to allow people to learn, it, it, it can yell at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I remember seeing a really good thing about Trump. Um, I can't remember who it was, but it was American. I don't usually usually agree with him, but he was saying, you know, one of the great things about Trump is that you don't have to feel you don't feel morally inferior to him. He doesn't make you feel morally inferior. You know, he just he makes you feel that you're all right. And I think there's some there's some of that in in in, in Bolsonaro as well. I hope. That in the build-up to the next elections, because the, the handling of the coronavirus thing here has been so inept, off the scale of ineptitude, I hope that that's the issue that will bring him down, yeah. as it did with Trump. But I am worried because 
if you look at the uh, say the you know what what happened with the the Trump rioters, you know in the the, the storming of, of of the capital. Put that in Brazil. Number one, the big lesson you learn is if you're going to do that, you've got to go all out. You can't you can't do it half cock. You know. So that, that's that's lesson number one. Number two is if that were to happen in Brazil, the likelihood, the very very strong likelihood, is they would they would receive much more help from the, the the police than was the case with Trump. So getting out of this situation is 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 not going to be easy. I'm okay. I'm, I'm I'm concerned for for the future. Right. That's really interesting because I would have assumed naturally that it was economic, that the 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 richer people support him for economic reasons as opposed to social reasons. But well, there, there, there is that as well. It, it, it's a right wing coalition. And there, there is that as well, um, because it, it is a it is a strange kind of populism from Bolsonaro, because there is no economic populism in there. You know, which yeah. there was from Trump. You know, Trump identifies yeah, yeah. the white working class, and according to the the great Scottish political economist Mark Blythe, the uh, the bottom thirty percent actually did benefit a little bit from from things that Trump did. There's none of that. There's the, he he has offered nothing economically, um, with the exception of 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 plans for more privatization and more precarious labor which which isn't in the interests of 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 the poor but the left have been unable to come up with a with a with an economic argument um the left have been i think in their response have been have been very very disappointing uh and uh, i hope we'll be able to do things better in 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 2022 before we finish up tim is ronaldinho still in jail or is he out now no he's uh he's, he's out he, okay. He managed, he managed to get out just to just to finish this uh, with, with the Bolsonaro thing. Um, Edgy Milson played for Barcelona. Very, he's he's an intelligent man. You know, he's a, a Bolsonaro supporter, and uh, Barcelona were obviously, you know, with their anti-General Franco thing, were astonished at this. And he was he was on um, Catalan radio, and they said, "Why do you support Bolsonaro? Uh, he's a man of God." That's yeah. That's that's completely the opposite to what I would have assumed looking in from from Europe. But that's that's extremely interesting. Uh, Janino, I read, was is on the left wing, the the free kick specialist. Which I, yeah, I, there much. was yeah. there was an interview with him on the Guardian a few months back, and he's still looking as handsome as he always did, with the the beard, and he's sort of matured, and he's on the left. So that that makes him even cooler in my eyes. In fairness, <laughs> uh, Tim Vickery, it's been interesting and. Uh, eye-opening as always. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Now that's us done on Team 33 for another week. Thanks to you as ever for listening in. And if you want to listen back to any of that or any of the Team 33 podcast, you can as ever find them in the OTB Podcast Network. Just search Team 33 in your OTB Sports app and you can subscribe there if you want to get notified every single time a new podcast goes live. Back again, same time, same place next week. Until then, take away, Johan.